Actionable Steps to a Profitable Wedding Business, Part 2, with the leading international expert on the business of weddings, Alan Berg. If you were going out to eat, would you choose the restaurant or would you choose the dish you're going to have? You'd most likely choose the restaurant. It blows caterers' minds when Alan asks, so why are you giving out the menus to all of the food you serve when you haven't chosen the caterers yet? The award-winning chefs, five-star reviews, years of experience, selling the results of the service, not just the service itself, is one topic coming up for actionable steps to a profitable wedding business. Part one with Alan Burt, we talked about the dichotomy of feeding your ego versus being the most profitable, how to give a range of pricing that creates framing, how Alan's love for music, speaking, writing, and consulting made him the leading international expert on the business of weddings. Alan Berg is fluent in the language of business. He's been in marketing, sales, and sales management for over 20 years, working with businesses like yours and like mine within the wedding and events industry. Before striking out on his own as a business consultant, author, and professional speaker, he served as the vice president of sales and the Not Market Intelligence at The Not Worldwide. In addition to his speaking and consulting services, he also serves as a consultant and educator for Wedding Wire, the leading wedding technology company, doing webinars, live presentations, writing articles, and more. Alan is the wedding and event industry's only certified speaking professional, the highest earned designation for a professional member of the National Speakers Association. Only one of 36 global speaking fellows in the world. Today we're continuing talking about his latest book, Wit Wisdom in the Business of Wedding, a compendium of ideas, insight, and inspiration from an industry leader. If you want to know more about Alan's background within the wedding industry, check out part one. We're going to jump right into actionable steps to a profitable wedding business. Today's topics include, are you in the mindset of the making it happen or the being the center of attention? Why and how you should be selling the results before the service, how to discount without giving away profits, and why you are getting ghosted, how to never get ghosted again, and when is a ghost not really a ghost? Welcome to Funktastic Chats. I'm your host, Mike Zabra, and I've teamed up with the best and most successful leaders within the creative field to help you navigate being a boss and dominate with originality and vision. Having a long-standing career in the wedding and events industry, Funktastic Chats is a podcast that includes essential information for all small businesses. Industry leaders join me every week to help you monetize your passion, automate repetitive tasks to allow for more time for what you love, how to convert more leads and turn clients into brand fanatics, and how to thrive in what you do. Enjoy today's episode as we talk to the international expert on the business of weddings. How many times have you heard this as a problem from your current clients, hearing this from couples? You've given us so much to think about. We need to go home and process everything. Yeah. We'll get back to you. How many yeah. choices is too many? Well, there's a great book called uh, The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz, okay? Also on audiobook. One of the first audiobooks I ever listened to twice, by the way. So The Paradox of Choice, not a very big book. It's great. The Paradox of Choice is this. When you're the customer, you want to know you've seen all the choices. The problem is we live in a world where there's too many choices. So once you see all the choices, you can't decide. And I'll give you an example. You've heard of this company called Amazon. You heard of that company, right? <laughs> heard of it. Heard of it, yeah. Say, so have you ever gone on Amazon and you're like, I need something. 
and you start looking and you go down the rabbit hole because people who like this also like that. And people who bought this also bought that. Have you ever been there for 40 minutes and bought nothing? Yes. That's, that is decision paralysis. Now, the Paradox of Choice book, he talks about people who satisfice a decision and maximize a decision. So again, if you were going to buy a base, you're going to maximize that decision because you know better and you're like, I know what I need and I'm going to do this and it's got to have Grover tuners and it's got to be whatever, okay? But other people are going to satisfy a decision and say, yeah, that's good enough. So for instance, like the microphone I'm using over here, I can see the microphone you have over there. You don't want a cheap mic. You want a good mic. You care about sound quality stuff. I have my blue Yeti over here, right? And it's hanging on the wall. I'm, you know, I'm all set here. That was a maximized decision. What is the right mic for podcasting, for zooming, for stuff like that? My camera. Are you going through that mic right right now? What's that? Are you going through that mic right now? Oh yeah. I was wondering like how you were getting such great audio quality from your Apple earpods. Oh no, that's how is this how is this happening? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, the microphone. (laughs) Microphone is here. The headphones are actually plugged into the Yeti. So on the top over here. So they're plugged that makes into- sense now. I was just like, how is this audio quality so superior? No. To- <laughs> I, what I found is my AirPods were running out too fast because I would be on some calls or like a clubhouse or whatever. And about 90 minutes in, they cut off. So I had this happen to me last week. So I, I always use corded headphones. I also have a pair of Bose noise canceling over the year or whatever. Oh, I just yeah. don't like the way I look, you know, with, with, with the headphones on. So yeah. <laughs> See, they blend into your hair. I don't have that. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So the, when I, my camera is a Logitech Brio, the camera that I had, I just didn't feel it was sharp enough. So I started asking around and people told, everybody said Logitech Brio, Logitech Brio, $199 camera. I recommended it to one of my sons and he's, I don't need a $199 camera, right? See, he didn't need it. I need it. Because when he gets mm-hmm. on a video call, it's not to be recorded and whatever. It's just within his, you know, his company and stuff like that. So he's going to satisfy the decision for a camera. Is that good enough where I was going to maximize the decision? And it comes down to priorities, good video quality, good audio quality, lighting, right? I have, you can't see it in here, but I have 900 watt equivalent of LED running around here right now, which is how I have the, yeah, it gets warm in here. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I have good lighting because it matters to what I do. I'm, I have a 27 inch, you know, high definition monitor here. All that matters. When you present the customer with too many choices, you create the decision paralysis. Another story out of the, that book is, this is pre-COVID, obviously, but they went into a grocery store and they set up a table with samples of six different flavors of jellies and jams. Let people taste them, and then they measured how many got bought. They did the same thing, same store, 20 different flavors. Less got sold when there were 20 different flavors than when there were six. Hmm. Because you can't focus on 20 different flavors. But on six, you could like you might immediately eliminate, okay, orange marmalade, I know I don't like that. That one's out. Now you're down to five and you look at these and go, oh, let me taste over here. It's like, ooh, I like the blueberry. And ooh, I like the strawberry. And people are buying blueberry and strawberry. But now you put 20 out there and you have raspberry and you have blackberry and you have, right? It's like, so your job is not to have less choices. It's to present less choices. 
So one of my books, which way over here, this one over here, it's called Shut Up and Sell More Weddings and Events. It's about asking better questions. You don't learn anything when you're talking. Like right now I'm talking to you, I'm not learning anything. But when you're talking, I'm learning, I'm listening, I'm hearing. So when I'm in a sales mode, I'm asking people questions and now I'm learning. But if I'm talking, I'm not learning anything. So your job is to ask them good questions. And in your mind, you're going, okay, five pieces is out, seven pieces is out. They're having 250 people. It's at this beautiful venue over there. You're finding out it's going to be a black tie affair. It's going to be in the evening, whatever. And you go, okay. You're asking if they're having the ceremony and the reception there. You find out that they are. So now we know we need some ceremony musicians. We might want to have a jazz combo playing at the cocktail hour, right? And you're building this in your head. And then you're going to present them with the one or two, no more than three, and preferably only two, choices that are right for them. But if you had given them a menu, virtually or or otherwise, and it showed five pieces, six pieces, seven pieces, eight pieces, nine pieces. I've done that. I'm guilty. Right. Because we think we're being helpful, right? But now let let me tell it to you a different way. Let's say you were a caterer and you didn't know what they needed. And you and my, one of my customers did this. That you send them your menus: breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, buffet, dinner, sit down, after party food, snacks, right? All this kind of stuff. Now you don't know what they need yet, and you just gave them that. And it's followed by their choices that they could have for appetizers, their choices for salads, their choices for entrees, their choices. Right? One of my clients did this: forty pages. I'm not kidding. Four zero, 40 pages of menus. So now what you've said to the customer is, here's everything we offer. What do you <laughs> want? Right? Right? You, you, you ever been in a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and you're not paying attention to the headings and you turn to something like, and you say to the waiter, hey, I'd like to have this. And they say, oh, that's the lunch menu. Right? It's dinner time because the menu had the lunch menu, whatever. And you're looking at the lunch special and go, oh, that looks good. Right? But it was the lunch thing. I wish they wouldn't have shown that to me because now I got excited about the lunch menu and uh, now I got to go look at this. Now, yeah, my bad. Go ahead. It's kind of like what you said too with, do you sell the caterer or do you sell the, where we're going to like, or where the restaurant first, right? Right. We sell the restaurant first. Do we decide what dish we're going to have or we decide where we're going to go eat? Right. I say Uh, this to caterers all the time and and it blows their mind because I asked them that question. I said, okay, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. Are we going to choose the restaurant? Or are we going to choose the dish? Now, I get it that if you're in Chicago, you live in Chicago, and you might be like, I am tasting what, right? From somebody's place there. It's like the original deep dish place. I forget what the two of them. I know there's a- Lou Malnati's? Yeah, like Lou Malnati's. And if you're thinking, all right, we're going to go to Lou Malnati's and you're going to have X. But you know what? When you show up at Lou Malnati's and the waiter says, we have a special tonight, are you listening? Yeah. Yeah, you're listening. So you could still change your mind on what you're going to eat, but you're still at Lumalnati's, right? So why do caterers put their menus out and say, here's the food we can serve when you haven't chosen the caterer yet? Here's another quote in your book. You say, I see lists of products and services that look like my attic. Stuff goes in, but nothing ever comes out. I once did a sales training for a venue that had 12 different chicken dishes on their menu. No joke. So I was doing sales training for a venue in Maryland, a venue group. And before I went there, they said, let us send you our materials. And I said, great, send me your materials. I'm expecting to get like a brochure or st- pages stapled together. 
two three-inch thick binders, one for corporate work and one for weddings. I was like, uh? I mean, this box shows up. I'm like, what the heck is this? I'm looking through the wedding one. And when I got to the chicken section, <laughs> there were 12 different chicken dishes with photos, full page photos. And I asked them, I said, how many dishes do people actually choose? I'm mean, like, out of these 12, which ones do they choose? And it was two. I said, so why the other 10? And they said, well, you know, somebody asked us, can you do chicken Kiev? Yes. And it ended up on the menu. Somebody said, can you do chicken cacciatore? Yes. And it ended up on the menu. I said, just because that couple wanted it, what you need to do is put the two pages in, keep the other 10 pages aside. And if somebody says, oh, I see these chicken dishes, but you know, can you do chicken cacciatore? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, let me show you what it looks like. Right. But what they're doing is getting them to try to decide which of 12 chicken dishes, right? It should be beef, chicken, or fish, right? That's, that's what the choice yeah. should be. Now, once you've said, I want chicken, now we can talk about that. But it was just overload. And when I say, it means it's like your garage or your attic. It's like, how did those 12 on up, end up there? Well, somebody wanted it, so we put it in. Somebody wanted it, so we put it in. <laughs> I can't even think of 12 chicken dishes. Yeah, it, Nuts. And you know what the opposite of that is? And it's funny, I'll use a chicken story. I was in um, Denton, Texas one time and I was doing training at this venue and I thought I was going to have dinner with the client, but he had something with his family. So I ended up being on my own. So I went on to Facebook and I said, Hey friends, I'm in Denton, Texas. Where should I go to dinner? And people came back and somebody said, you should go to this town. It was about 20 minutes away and go to babes and get fried chicken. I was like, fried chicken sounds good right about now. Why not? I got some time. I can take the 20 minutes. So I look it up on the map and I go in and I go to this town. And this was like this tiny little don't blink town, like a cross street, right? And Babes is this building clearly from the early 1900s, if not older, brick building with a big metal chicken sculpture outside. And I walk in. It was getting kind of late at that point. I walk in and I said, you just won. And they sit me down. The waitress comes over, says, what do you have? I said, I didn't get a menu. She said, well, we only serve chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and we serve it five different ways. I said, well, my friend told me I should come here for fried chicken. She said, well, okay then. And she starts, turns and walks away. I was like, oh, excuse me, what else do I, what else can I have? And she said, you get all the sides, whether you want them or not. So think about the decision, right? You're going to get all the side dishes. You had to choose from five different chicken things, which was probably like roasted, fried, and I, I don't know what else. The, the, the things were there, chicken fingers. I don't know what it was. But my choice was I went to Babe's to get fried chicken. And that was it. And she comes over and gave me like baked beans, coleslaw, macaroni and cheese, cream corn, and green beans, scratch made biscuits. And that's all before you got your fried chicken, right? And then the fried chicken. But what was the decision? The decision was to go there, right? That was it. So what yeah. you want to do is you don't want to, you, yeah, you want to talk music with them a little bit, but realistically choose the band and whatever it is you want, we'll play it, right? Like you want klezmer music, we'll do the whole all night for you, right? You, if you want country western, we will play that for you. If you need somebody that's going to be, you know, Tony Bennett, Michael Bublé, whatever. We got a singer that can do that for you. You need a sax player. I got Clarence Clemens or, you know, Bird or whoever. I, I, I got him. But it's not about that. It's do they like you? Do they trust you? And do they want you to be the band, right? And that's why I talk about results. You're not selling, you're not selling the band. So the picture that you're going to show 
on your website is not the band. It's the packed dance floor with the wedding couple on the dance floor and the band is in the back making that happen. Because let's face it, you're not the center of attention. You're the making it happen. But too many bands say, hey, look at the band. Look at us. Not about that, right? If you look on my homepage or my website, it's unlike most speakers because it's from behind me and you're looking at the audience. You see me, but you're looking at the audience. Whereas most speakers, it's, hey, look at me on stage. And I wanted it to be, hey, look at those people who are watching me on stage because you could be one of them. Just people engaging with your service. Right. I love a picture from behind the band. So you see the band and people are getting into it. But what you're seeing is the packed dance floor because you made that happen. And your message to the couple is when it's late at night at your wedding and the cake has been cut and all these different ceremonial things have been done and you are you got your shoes off because they're brand new shoes and their feet you're hurting your feet we know how that goes and you are dancing there and he's got his jacket off and you are just like hands in the air having the greatest time of your life you look around and you're surrounded by the most important people in your life friends and family and if you glance over at the bandstand do you see us making it happen how do you go about upselling versus too much information sell the results not the stuff that's how you do it so if you're listening to them and finding out what's important so let's say you're talking about music with them a little bit and saying you know when you're on the dance floor what are you hearing right are you hearing what's on the radio today are you hearing top 40 you know classic rock are you hearing 50s are you hearing old standards what are you hearing there and if they tell you that they're hearing you know chicago the band or they're hearing the commodores or they're hearing tower of power right you're like well we need a horn section right i need a horn fantastic there you go (laughs) but if that's what they're looking for and you say so so when you're here in chicago or you're hearing tower of power right and you're hearing what is hip right because we're playing what is hip for you right you can hear all those horns So what we need to do is we need to make sure that we have not just our regular horn section, which is fantastic. We're going to have more than just that because you want to hear, when you hear that crisp horn sound, that phone is because of what you're hearing from Chicago, what you're hearing from Tower of Power, what you're hearing from Earth, Wind, and Fire, what you're hearing from them. And we'll make sure that happens. And this, therefore, we're going to have those extra three pieces there, right? but you're selling the result, you're not selling the stuff. I tell people if they're selling a photo booth, if you have a photo booth to upsell, never sell the photo booth. Say to them like this, hey Mike, have you thought about something fun for your guests to do when they're not dancing? I didn't say photo booth, right? Right? And you want them to go, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, some people dance all night, some people dance sometimes, and some people just don't dance for one reason or another, they just don't dance. So have you thought about something fun for them to do when they're not dancing? And you want them to kind of give you that Scooby-Doo like, <laughs> yeah. and you say, well, I have a great idea for you, right? People are dancing, having a great time. Some people are not dancing. And then over there, right off, off to the side, you have people there just laughing, having a great time, mugging it up in the photo booth. And the best part about a photo booth is not what happens at your wedding. It's what happens two years later when somebody goes into a drawer and they're looking for a, a roll of tape. And they pull out a photo strip from your wedding and they remember, oh, that was a fun time. 
So not only did they have fun at the wedding, they're going to have fun every time they look at that. And I, I have a photo strip right here from a wedding I was at October 30th. It's right on my cork board with my family photos. And I look at that and there's my wife and I am transported back there. So how about we give your guests that same kind of fun, both at your wedding and later? Sometimes when bands do send their pricing, I'm curious your opinion on bundling services together to create a package. So sometimes I see bands offer packages that are multiple services bundled together. So this is our first package. You're gonna you're gonna have a solo instrument for the ceremony, jazz trio for cocktail, quartet for dinner, and then we're gonna do an eight piece band for the reception. Is bundling services into a package a good thing helping alleviate choices? Or am I excluding people who necessarily aren't looking for all that? According to a wedding wire survey, couples preferred to start with packages because it was easier for them. So here's what I would say to you and to other bands and other people in general is, if you've been doing this long enough, you can go back and look and see what people actually bought. So that could be the ceremony music, the cocktail music, that. And if that is a popular combination or some variation is a popular combination, then say our most popular combinations for weddings like yours is this package. Ceremony reception there, because you need to have all of those things, ceremony reception there, right? Now you could have three packages. So one could be a, a smaller, lighter package. One could be have this and one could be even bigger. And the key is to not just list what's in the package, but tell me why. So tell me that we're gonna have a, a string quartet for your, for your ceremony. And our string quartet can do anything from classical music to variations on the latest music done in a string quartet way to give it a classical modern feel, right? And then you're going to have cocktail music. And then we're going to have a jazz trio for the cocktail music. And they're going to play the right background music. And don't worry, the sound level is going to be just right that people can still have a great conversation while they're having their drink, but it's the perfect background music. And then for your wedding, for your reception, we're going to have this and this be able to do these things, whatever, but give me the result, not just the service, because the service is now a commodity. The result is what they want from it. And it's, there's an old saying, nobody ever buys a drill bit because they need a drill bit. They buy a drill bit because they need to make a hole, but they need to make a hole. Like here, I told you about my, my cork board. I needed a drill bit to make a hole, to put a hanger, to put the cork board so I can put the photos there right? So why did I need the drill bit? So I can put the photos there. But if somebody thinks, well, you need a drill bit because you need a drill bit. No, I don't. And I don't need a band because I need music because you could pump in music through the house sound system, right? Why do they want a live band versus a DJ, right? Or why do they want a live band versus a DJ versus pumping in through the sound system? because it's different, because to see the people they're playing it, and to hear the people they're playing it, and because the band can look out and say, hey, don't stop this song, right? Let's go around one more time. Let's do this again, right? We can do that when we're playing live music. The DJ can do some variation of that, but you can do that. And it's different, right? Now, some people don't value that. Some people say no, either for budgeting reasons or because no, I want to hear Bruno Mars singing it when it's Bruno Mars, right? And you can't compete with that because you might have somebody that sounds just like Bruno Mars, but you don't have somebody that sounds just like Bruno Mars and sounds like Madonna and sounds like, right? You can't yeah. be that good on all of those. You can be good on some of them, but you can't be good on all of them. Do they value it? Because if they don't value the difference, it's not affordability. It's if they don't value the difference, they won't pay. 
they won't pay. Just because somebody has money doesn't mean they're going to use it for your service, right? I, got, I bought a car late last year from a friend of mine in, in St. Louis, actually. I can afford a new car, but I bought a used car. It was an opportunity. I don't need a new car, right? In a normal year, I'm away half the year, right? It's, yeah. right? And now I drive five miles and come home, right? So I don't need to spend that money. I don't, again, can I afford it? Sure. But do I need to? No, I don't need to. Right. Other things I buy brand new, my microphone, my monitor, my computer, other things I'm going to buy brand new and some stuff. It's no, I don't need to. The package idea, I think, is a really good idea as long as you do it. Now, you can do it this way. If you're having a, a, a small wedding these days, you know, maybe 50 people or so, then this is a great combination for you. And maybe it's five pieces, and we're going to have two pieces playing at your ceremony. We're going to have somebody playing at the cocktail, and then we'll have the five pieces for your wedding. Maybe it's three pieces, four pieces, whatever it is, right? If you're having a wedding, you know, between 100 and 250 people, or 100 and 150 people, here's a great package for you. And again, you could have 12 variations of this, but you're only going to show them the ones that are right for them. So if they're having 250 people at an elegant affair, they're never going to see the tiny package. You're just never going to show it to them. But the idea of packages is you're making one sale. And then, by the way, that package can have options. So let's say you do the package for a typical 150-person wedding, and it's, I'm going to pick a number, it's seven pieces. But the option is we could have a, you know, an extra singer, or we could have add two horns, or we could, right? You could have those options. It still looks like one package, but you could have those add-ons. We talk about selling the results of the service. I love in the book when you mention a DJ told you he gets a lot of requests for his five-hour package. <laughs> Do you remember that? And you helped him with this response. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to tell you about how much fun I can make your wedding. I don't have a five-hour package, but I'd love to tell you about my 35-hour package, the five hours you and your guests will see and the 30 hours that I'll be investing to ensure its success, which you can see from my dozens and dozens of fantastic reviews. Right. <laughs> I love that quote <laughs> so much. And when you think about it, you know, you as a band, you don't just show up that day and start playing, right? <laughs> you had to prepare and the preparation takes longer than the wedding day. Just like when I give a speech somewhere, even if I've given the speech before, I'm going to invest five, 10 hours in preparing for that speech, even if I've given that exact same presentation before. If I've never given it, like with Wedding MBA coming up, 20, 30, 40 hours will go into a new speech. What are you going to see? 45 minutes, right? The easier it looks, the more prep usually went into it, right? All right, so you're in Chicago. Michael Jordan didn't just become Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan worked. As a matter of fact, Michael Jordan got rejected early on, you know, with high school and college, and then he worked his way towards it. It's putting in that extra time, putting in the extra work. You know, we talked about me as a speaker and people doing speaking stuff. I study the craft of speaking. It doesn't matter that I'm one of 36 global speaking fellows in the world. I watch other speakers, sometimes with the sound off and go, man, what did she do there? That was so good. Or sometimes I cringe and I go, ooh, why did they do that, right? It's that, that same thing. And I'm breaking it down and saying, oh, I, I, I thought, I don't know if this was the quote. Is it in this book? It's in one of my books, but I'm not seeking perfection. I don't want to seek perfection. I want to be the best I've ever been every time. I don't want to be the best I can ever be 
but I want to be the best I've ever been. So the next time I give a presentation, I want it to be the best presentation I have ever given, but not the best I can ever give. Because if it's the best I can ever give, I can't be better. Drop the mic and leave. That's it. I'm done. But never drop a mic. They're expensive. Don't drop a mic. (laughs) That's a great mindset. You say a huge mistake wedding pros make is not asking for the sale. When they hear, especially when they hear buying signals, and one of these buying signals is couples asking for a discount. In fact, there's a chapter called How Emotions Affect Your Business Decisions where wedding pros will get upset when, in fact, asking for a discount can be a good buying signal. Can you talk a little bit about discounting versus negotiating against yourself and asking for the sale? Sure. So the first thing is, why is asking for a discount a buying signal? Well, the first buying signal that you saw was when they made the inquiry. It wasn't the first buying signal there was because the first buying signal there was is them deciding that they need to have music for their wedding and then deciding that they want a band and then going and searching and whatever. By the time they get to you, they've gone through three, four, five, seven, eight, 10, 12 different steps. So when they come to you and they ask you how much it is, that's a buying signal. People who are buying things ask how much it costs. When they're excited about it and they say, hey, that sounds great. You know, is there anything you can do on the price? It's a bigger buying signal because- If they didn't want it, they wouldn't be asking for a discount. Like who asks for a discount on something you don't want? I'm not really interested. Could you do better? Said nobody ever, right? So So discounting and negotiating, the first thing is understanding that you don't have to give them a discount just because they asked. You don't have to. And I have many, many people have told me that after they hear me speak about this or they've read about it, that they stopped giving discounts just so reactively. And, and part of it is, if you like getting a discount, when somebody asks you for one, you want to give them one because you like getting one. You figure they like getting one, so why not? This caterer in California, she came to a mastermind that I did. And afterwards, she said, I stopped giving the discount. I was just giving it because they asked for a discount. I was like, sure, here you go. She said, so I'm giving them $300, $500 every time. And that's my money. I said, yeah, that's profit. That's real money right there, right? Even if she at $500 each, if she did 20 weddings a year, it's $10,000, right? Yeah. So she just stopped. And I, so here's what I do with an audience. I'll put up a slide and I'll have a, an Apple watch, an iPhone and a MacBook. And I'll say, how many of you own one or more of these? And of course, lots of hands go up. I said, how many of you got a discount on it? And very few hands. I did have somebody who raised their hand and I said, how'd you get a discount on Apple products? She goes, my husband works for Apple. I'm like, All right. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. But they also give to students and they give to military and stuff, but it's a fixed number. So if it's 15% off, which was what she gets at, you know, the employee discount, if it's 15% off, you can't negotiate 16, but you also can't negotiate 14, right? It's it's 15. That's what it is. I like discounting to be both intentional and structural. So let's go back to the package idea. If you have people that will buy let's say the ceremony music and the reception, but they don't want to pay extra for the cocktail, have an a la carte price for ceremony, cocktail and reception, put them into a bundle and then reduce the price on the bundle so that it's less than the a la carte pricing, which sometimes means raising your a la carte pricing, right? And now you say, hey, listen, this package here just saved you $350, $500, $1,000, whatever it is, over buying them separate. And if they say, hey, I don't need that, whatever, you say, no worries, no difference in price because your discount was already bigger. If you have a price for a weekday that's different than a weekend price, that's okay. The key is 
discounting structure, you have to hold to the structure. So if Friday cost you know, X percent less than Saturday night or X dollars less than Saturday night. It is always that difference. You don't say, well, they'll pay the same for set for Friday as Saturday. So let's just take their money. You can feel that way sometimes, but you're now negotiating. You're not discounting. Negotiating means you have to remember what you told everybody. Now I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying you have to remember what you told everybody. Whereas with discounting, it's here's the price. So let's say your price for February is different than your price for May, right? Because there's not as much demand. Well, if somebody says, hey, you know, my friend's paying this much, right? They're getting married in February. You're getting married in May. Here's our price structure. Supply and demand says that we get more demand. We have to turn away more business in May than February. That's all. You can explain it to them. But when you took two Saturdays in May and you charged them two different prices for exactly the same thing, and they ask why, you, know, you just start doing the whole tap dance because you can't explain why. Oh, They're a better negotiator too, than you. Right? That, that, that's yeah. not a good answer. People talk too, especially on oh, the yeah. internet in today's day and age too. So, Oh gosh, one to- of my clients actually out, out near you, just outside the loop, they, the, one of the owners of this venue was on Facebook chatting with some brides and one of the brides shared this venue's PDF. The owner didn't, not the venue, shared the PDFs like here, there's their prices. Now, who knows how recent that PDF was, right? And they're sharing this out there. They do talk and they do stuff like that. And, and I've also said to people, I, I say, so how come you don't have pricing on your website? And they go, well, I don't want my competitors to know. I'm like, they already do. <laughs> they secret shopped you 20 times. Oh, come on. And not even just secret shop, but look what just happened there, right? They Somebody's sharing this PDF out there. They already know. That's the worst reason to do that. I'm, if you're confident in your pricing, that you are providing good value for what you're doing, it shouldn't matter who knows what it is, right? Now, some people will look and say, and they're going to judge you based on price because they're looking at their price and your price and they don't understand the difference. And that's why better marketing materials, better branding, you know, better messaging is important. And here's a line that I've used. It's probably in the book or it's definitely in some of my books. Can I guess? Go ahead. This might be might be what you're going to say. I was going to say, it, you need to invest in yourself if you want other people to invest, invest in, you. in you. Right. That that absolutely that comes to advertising and marketing and branding for sure. What for the customer? It's if price is the most important factor when choosing the entertainment for your wedding. We're not going to be the right fit because there's always going to be somebody cheaper. So if you're going to judge based on price, there's always going to be somebody cheaper. However, if what's important to you in your wedding is having the right entertainment at the right time, the right announcements, the right coordination with it, with the other, the caterer and the photographer and everybody at your wedding, and what's important to you is having your guests walking out with smiles on their face and tired feet from dancing all night and telling you three weeks later that they are still remembering how fun it was, that's what we do. And we do it at our price because that's the results we provide. So. You could have somebody else's price, or you could have those results. Can you talk a little bit about objections too, and how that's also a buying signal? Yeah. So if somebody's having a conversation with you and they bring up an objection, which I call a yes, but I'm not ready to say yes, but let me get this. The fact that they're still conversing with you and bringing up that particular objection is a good sign because they could just go away. 
same thing with complaints, by the way. I, I, one of my clients, I'm, I'm going to do sales training for his company, and the owner and I were talking about talking the other day, and he said, a good client complains. A bad one just goes away, hmm. right? Because the, the, the idea of complaining is giving the company an opportunity to make it right. So with an objection, if somebody says, you know, that's more than we were looking to spend, but they're telling you that. They're giving you a chance to have some reply to that. You're the first band we've spoken to. That's a statement. That that's not doesn't mean we won't buy. It's a statement, but you could take it wrong. Just like you could take somebody sending you an inquiry and it says, hi, could you send me your prices and packages? And you could go, ah, they're looking for a cheap band. You don't know that. You, you can't tell that from those words because they're sending those same words to every category. So you can't tell that. So an objection is a way to find out what it is that they're looking for in terms of results and why they feel that you may or may not be able to deliver those particular results. So if you think about what the objection might be, right, which again, very often it is those like the price is the objection or you're the first one that we've seen or we want to look around or whatever. You know, what you said before is you've given us so much to think about, we need to process it. And I say, if you hear that a lot, you're the problem, right? You're going to hear it occasionally, no matter what. But if you hear it a lot, you're creating the confusion. You're bringing in those problems in there. Or is, I like to say it nicely to people that, you know, the problem is actually in your office, somewhere between the chair and the keyboard, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somewhere between those two. And listen, I, I know I'm the problem sometimes. I, I called up for tech support one time and I said, listen, I did it. I pushed something. I don't know what I did. Here's what I did to try to fix it. It didn't work. Help me. And I've had tech people say to me, thank you for admitting that. Because so many people are like, oh, I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know what happened. Meanwhile, they spilled their coffee on the keyboard. Yeah. Stuff, right? I admit yeah. it, right? Because I don't call tech support until I've gone through all the normal stuff. So now I need, I, I usually need to go right to level two is what happens. It'll go <laughs> on to that. But uh, objections are an opportunity to talk about a result again that they're looking for. And too many people are like, oh, you know, here, here's an objection. Here's a, no, let's do it. Let's talk. Same thing with price. I love when somebody calls me, emails me, texts me, whatever, and says, how much does it cost for you to train my team to, I'll give you an example. I spoke for a group in San Diego the other day remotely, and somebody reached out and said, hey, I've been a photographer for 20 years, and I, I want to be redoing my prices and packages, and I think you can help me with that. Can I get an hour of your time? Now, I don't start usually with people with an hour of my time. I start with two hours, and then we can do by a half hour after that. So I could have read into his message, you know what? He wants to buy an hour of my time, but I'm going to go back to him. I'm going to tell him it's two hours. So I went back and I said, you know, thanks so much for reaching out. You know, 20 years in business, you know, the customers have changed. The way they buy has changed. It's a really good idea to do that. And I, I can definitely help you with that. I usually start with a two-hour consultation. We can record the whole thing and we can talk about more than just your prices because more things are involved. Should you put them on your website? How do you do it? How do you respond in an email and all that? And that's going to be two hours at $699. Did you have any other questions or would you like to schedule? Now, he could have come back and said, oh, I only need an hour. He came back and said, sold in all caps with an exclamation point. Right? So I didn't say, well, he asked for an hour and I offered two. He could have said, I only need an hour. He didn't. He said, done. Right. 
this is, uh, and again, I don't know who's watching on video or who's not, but here's, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. <laughs> right? I, I like your other quote. The answer is yes. Now, what's the question? That's the question. That's that the best customer service. Customer comes over, can I ask you something? Yes, you can. The answer is yes. What's your question? Right? <laughs> right? That's the best, cu- the best customer service. Could you talk a little bit about ghosting and how you've helped clients of yours win couples back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's first talk about what ghosting is. Ghosting is someone makes an inquiry, you respond to them, and then you don't hear back. Or maybe you do hear back and then you respond again and you don't hear back. But at some point, the conversation just stops. So there's three possible outcomes from getting an inquiry and you reply. You can get them to say yes at some point. They could tell you no at some point, or you could hear nothing. Which is the worst of those three? To hear the word no. I mean, it's actually the ghosting. Oh. And here's why. Yes means yes right? No means we've chosen someone else, but you do have an opportunity because maybe that other band doesn't offer ceremony music or something. And you might ask, you know, if there's something you can do, but at least you have a definitive answer. But the ghosting could be a yes. They could still be interested. So the opportunity that we all have as businesses is we get the yeses, we get the noes. And if we still have inquiries and they haven't responded to us, they inquired with us, right? Who started this? You started this. I didn't start this. You started, <laughs> right? Somebody went to your website, Mike, filled out your contact form. You sent the reply and they don't reply back to you. Wait a minute. I didn't just call you randomly out of the blue. You came to me. So theoretically, 100% of the people that reach out to you should respond. Theoretically, it doesn't happen. And it's still boggles my mind. Now, maybe through wedding wire or the not, you might not get, you know, you might not expect the hundred percent because you do get some people who like this band also like that band stuff over there, but through your own website, why would they not reply? And I get the same thing. I get the same. People go to my website, fill out my contact form. I reply, I hear nothing. Right. So I've laid out in uh, which is it over here? My, this book's called, why don't they call me eight tips for, for converting wedding and event inquiries into sales. I laid out eight eight things and then a five-step process for follow-up and five steps. It's like my clients don't give up on a lead unless they've tried at least five times to get a hold of someone. In the secret shopping we do, most wedding professionals try once or twice and they're done. That's it. They try once or twice. So why do people not reply to you? It's a couple of big reasons. First, you replied as quickly as you could. Hopefully you use the same method that they reached out because they've chosen that method, email, phone, text, live chat, whatever it is, right? You reply back quickly, but does your message fit on one screen of their phone? Because you know, and I know if you open, like when we're done here, if you open up your phone, oh, what did I get? And you see an email, oh, look at that email and you open it up and it's two and a half screens long. You're like, eh, I'll get to that later, right? I'm done. I'll, I'll get to that later. And maybe you will, maybe you won't, Okay. That's one reason. Another reason why, big reason why, people ask for a high commitment immediately, which is ask for a phone call, ask for a meeting. Now, why are those high commitments? Well, if they wanted to have a meeting, they would have said, hi, we'd like to arrange a meeting with you, but they didn't do that. Or they would have said, well, they would have called you actually if they wanted to talk on the phone, or they would, I've had this happen with a client where they get a message that says, it comes in late at night and it says, hey, can you give us a call tomorrow about, whatever. Great. If they say, can you give us a call? 
call them. But if they don't ask for the meeting, they don't ask for the call, you're being very forward because you're asking for them to make a higher commitment than just replying to a message. It would be like, you know, if, let's talk pre-COVID or post-COVID days, you walk into the bar and you see somebody cute at the bar, seat over there that's open. You walk over and you say, hey, want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> right? You wouldn't go there, right? That's a little bit forward. What you would do is say, oh, excuse me, is this seat taken, Right. And then you'd sit down and then you see if they're making eye contact, then you might reach over and go, oh, what are you having over there? Oh, you're having a Manhattan. Oh, you know what? I'll have a Manhattan also, right? And you're striking up a conversation. Somebody reaches out to you. They've already eliminated most of your competitors. They like whatever they've seen, read, heard, or whatever. Ease your way into the higher commitments. Another big reason that people get ghosted is you give people things to do and see that are not responding to you. In other words, you attached your brochure. Okay, so they open it up on their phone, and I challenge everybody listening to this, if you have any PDFs or any documents that you would send to someone, send it to yourself and open it on your phone and see what it looks like. And what it looks like is tiny print, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you gave them links. Go look at our YouTube page. Go look at our wedding wire. Go look at the knot. Go look at this. Go look at that. And you're wondering why they're not replying to you. And you gave them three links and an attachment and... and they're not replying because you gave them stuff to do that is not everything except replying to you, okay? So ghosting comes self-inflicted where you send them these links, you send them the attachments, you ask for the high commitment of a phone call or a meeting, even if it's a Zoom meeting, right away instead of easing your way into it, okay? And again, the long messages, those are other good reasons there. And another good reason for getting ghosted is you didn't ask them to reply. You ended your message with, I look forward to hearing back from you. Well, good. There's no statement there. That's a statement. That's not a question. So what you want to do is end every message that you want to reply, right? Because you don't always want to reply. Let's say you set up a meeting with someone and it's for tomorrow at four o'clock. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow at four is fine. But if that's not the case, then what's the question that you're going to ask to continue the conversation? And this is in person. This is on the phone. So let's say you were and I were meeting for the first time. We're in Chicago. We're at a networking event. And I walk over and I say, hi, my name's Alan, right? How do you do? And you say, I'm well, how are you? Right. Hey, what's your name? Mike, what's yours? Alan, you know. Now, if I don't ask anything no, else, it's it. going to get real <laughs> awkward, right? Right. It's awkward. Get, it's really awkward. Right. But if I said, hey, so what do you do, Mike? And you say, oh, I, I have a band. I said, really? Band? You know, I, I play keyboard as well. I said, you know, what kind of band? And you say, well, we do weddings. We do corporate. We do stuff like that. Terrific. You know, what do you play? Play bass. And we're having a conversation. And the more I'm asking about you, the more you're going, I kind of like this guy, right? But then we've all met those people where they start telling you about themselves, and then they tell you more about themselves. And then they tell you more about themselves. And then you're like, time to get out of here, right? It's the same thing in a message. It's the same thing in emails. It's the same thing in texting. Asking them questions about the results that they want for their wedding. Easing your way in. So let me give you an example of a story. You get an inquiry. This, this is somebody right after one of my master classes recently. Gets an inquiry and it said, can you send me your packages and pricing? Okay. That's it. Oh, no, this bride actually came in. It was for a DJ. And she said, our budget's between 1000 and 1500 Here's our wedding date. Could you tell me more about what you offer? 
So he went back and said, thanks so much for reaching out. I would love to make you know, bring great entertainment to your wedding and have you and your guests say it was the most fun they've ever had. Uh, let me find out a little bit more about what you need so I don't leave out anything that's important. Have you already selected your wedding venue or are you still looking? That's a low commitment question because she knows the answer. She's not going to have to consult with her fiance. Have we selected our venue yet? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she knows the answer. That's what I mean by a low commitment question. So she comes back and she said, here's the venue. He goes, oh, I'm so glad you chose that venue. It's a great place. I love working there. You're going to love it. How many guests do you expect it? She doesn't have to ask the fiance again. So she comes back and she put in a number there. He said, that's a great number for that dance floor. Perfect. So glad you said that. Are you having both your ceremony and reception there? Once again, she doesn't have to ask anybody. She comes back and said, Yes, we are. We're having both of them there. He said, oh, I'm so glad because they have a beautiful outdoor ceremony area and I have the perfect sound system to make sure that every one of your guests can hear every word of your beautiful vows. Okay. Results-based, right? And then he said, have you guys thought about music yet or a theme or a style? And she said, well, we're thinking country, but we might want to add some Disney in there as well. Okay. Country, Disney. Okay. Whatever. And he said, that's great. He said, there's just, there's some beautiful Disney songs that I think will really dovetail well with that. I'm getting really excited about your wedding. I'd love to find out more about how to make it great. Can I give you a call now or would later today be better? Now we were four messages in, right? He was four messages in, but they were quick. She came back and said, sure. Can't talk now. Later's better. Six o'clock or seven o'clock, six o'clock calls her at six, makes the sale. For $2,295, she said 1000 to 1500 budget. He made a $2,295 sale, right? Wow. Now think about what, what happened. She inquired. She gave him some info. He paid attention to the 1000 to fifteen, but he didn't because he has things that, that go there, not maybe what she needed. But that whole idea of confirming the venue, confirming it could be a date sometimes, having ceremony and reception there back and forth. Almost every wedding professional can do things like that. And then after getting her excited, then he asked for the higher commitment to the phone call. That's the way it works. Too many over people try four, to rush it. Over these four emails, are those just, these are just very short. Fit on one screen. Emails. The question was always its own paragraph at the end, Right. So when she said, he said, yeah, have you selected your venue already or are you still looking? She came back and said, here's the venue. We've already selected it. That was very short. Paying attention to the fact that she was writing back short, he kept his messages short. Now, you know, sometimes, Mike, sometimes they write you back the whole story, right? Yes, we've selected <laughs> our venue. We looked at 25 different venues. But we selected this one. You know why we chose this one? We chose this one because they have a beautiful outdoor area. And the beautiful outdoor area has flowers, but not just flowers. Oh my gosh, they have roses. It's not just roses, but they're pink, right? You know those people, right? <laughs> yeah, very well. But you mirror because the person that writes you long will read a long message back. The person that writes you back short sound bites doesn't want to read a long message. So pay attention to that. So he was paying attention because that's what I taught on this masterclass that we did. And just that little back and forth, little back and forth, right? Same thing. But you have to pay attention to what they write. So when she said Disney country theme, he responded to that. I had another, I got a, a, a client, uh, actually this, this venue I was telling you about where they shared their document on Facebook, somebody did. They got an inquiry and it said, where 
our theme is going to be Pride and Prejudice and Nerdy. I don't even know what that means. Like, I know what Pride and Prejudice is, and I, I know what nerdy means, but I, I, that mashup, just I can't picture that in my head. But when responding, the client didn't even mention it. But they should have said, wow, you guys are so specific on your theme, Pride and Prejudice and nerdy. I can't wait to find out more about you know what that means and how I can help you bring that to life. That's what they should have said. Acknowledge what they've written. They've taken the time to tell you that, you should have written back with that, but they didn't. So paying attention to those type of things is really important because it makes you not sound like automated replies at that point. It makes you sound more personal. But the idea of those little back and forth. Now, I will tell you honestly, sometimes those back and forths happen in minutes. And sometimes it takes them hours to get back because they're working, they have you know lives, <laughs> other things going on. So The thing that frustrates wedding professionals is it's not happening in real time. That's what frustrates them. But sometimes it's on Facebook Messenger in real time or on live chat in real time or on text in real time. It it, it does happen. It's the wanting to rush the process because you're busy is losing you sales. It's losing you sales because let's face it, Mike, when you're the customer, do you care how busy the other people are that you're the, the business that you're trying to do business with? No. And your customers don't care either. That's just what it is. They don't care either. So don't rush the process. Make it nice and easy for them. Be the one that sounds like you were saying about my books. You read my books. Well, the audio book is my voice. But if you read my books, you're going to hear my voice, even if you're reading the Kindle or the the paperback version, because that's the way I write. Your email should sound that way. I can't tell you how many people have been emailing back and forth with me. And after the second or third one, they'll be like, you're totally doing that short email question thing with me, aren't you now? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, yes. And you just realized that because it was just so natural. It was just like having a conversation because it's a conversation. I like when you were like, this is my magic flashlight. I just broke all of the links and attachments on all of your emails. Well, you said it in not webinar or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, there it is. There it is. (laughs) And the other thing too is social media. I never really realized how social media can really distract people away from you, even though it's your page they're going to, you know, they're looking at a thousand things on social media. So, Oh, forget, you know, YouTube, if I see a YouTube video on somebody's website, I will go to that video, start playing it and grab the slider and pull it over to the end to see if it pulls up that mosaic of all those video suggestions at the end. Because now they're sitting there going, oh, should I keep looking at Mike's website or should I look at one of these 16 videos, right? No, send them to Facebook. They are one click away from anybody else's page, anybody else's page. And Facebook is trying to get you to go to other pages and trying to show you ads, right? They're trying to get you to do that stuff. So it's so easy to get distracted. That's why I don't like, I actually don't have any social links on my website except sharing links. And the way a sharing link works is you don't leave my website. It just pulls up the little box. You can share the article or something. I have, I'm this close. I have 11,900 Instagram followers. So I'm this close to 12,000, right? And it's growing without any links on my website to Instagram because A real social audience is one that organically wants to follow you, wants to find out what you do, not, hey, uh, Mike, uh, if you like my page, I'll like yours. Okay, great. So our numbers just went up by one. And what did that accomplish? 
right? It didn't accomplish anything. So for me, I don't want to send you to social. I don't want to send you to Wedding Wire or The Knot or Google or Facebook or anyplace else. I just want to continue the conversation that you started when you reached out to me. Alan Berg, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was so much fun. Uh, we were talking about wit, wisdom, and the business of weddings, the compendium of ideas, insight, and inspiration from an industry leader. But Alan has five books out, and they're sitting behind him, if you could see on video, The, 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 the Crown. Crown. Y todos mis libros disponible en español, si tú quieres. So if you need, my books are all available in Spanish. Check out his website, allenberg.com. One L, Alan Berg. Thank you so much, Alan. I appreciate it. Can't wait to stay in touch with you. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks so much for inviting me. And that was Alan Berg. For more information on Alan's website review and consulting and or sales training services, to get a copy of his book or have Alan speak for your company, group, or association, visit www.allenberg.com. That's A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. His Instagram handle is at Allenberg. Check this website out, www.shopallenberg.com. To get a copy of Alan's latest book, which we discussed today, Wit, Wisdom, and the Business of Weddings, you're going to find a lot of good stuff up there. We talked about one of his books today, but you can get a three-book bundle or another bundle, including all five of his books and huge savings. Check it out. Thank you so much for sticking with us. You are extraordinary. We'll see you next week. Maybe because extra light shining up for every dark sky to be brightened up.